Well, good morning. My name is Richard Doe. It is great to be here. And I know every guest speaker says that. Let me tell you why I think it's great to be here. Um, I actually grew up in this church. I came here in fourth grade in 1996 and grew up here and just owe a lot to McDowell Mountain uh, as it's been such a big part of my spiritual formation and uh, growth as, as a Christian and as, as a young man. And, uh, and it's where I've learned to serve and learn to lead and learn to hang in there even when times are rough and not looking good. Uh, I was given opportunities to grow in my leadership skills and, and, and lead worship and speak and lead small groups and disciple people and be a counselor and all those types of things. So when I say it's great to be here, uh, I, really mean, I really mean that it's an honor to be with you today, and it's humbling uh, to get to share a message that God has placed on my heart. We're going to jump right into the text today, the, the scripture. So if you have a Bible with you, please open to Matthew chapter 8. Uh, it'll be on the screen, but uh, you cannot highlight and underline on the screen. So if you have your own, pull it out. I told you guys just ended a series on Philippians and that I had an open week to speak on whatever I wanted to. So I'm going to share a message today with you that has been real to me, that has been something God has been teaching me and leading me. And it's really something that has changed the way uh, I live and it changed the way I follow Christ and my relationship with Christ and how I make decisions and I want to share that with you today. Matthew 8, 23, uh, here's some context for where we're at. Jesus is in the midst of his ministry. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's reaching the lost, he's doing miracles, he's doing everything, you know, Jesus does. Because he's human, he gets tired after he performs uh, miracles and does ministry and teaches and preaches. And so oftentimes we find that Jesus would go away and disappear and just rest. And a lot of times, he would get on the water, because we all can agree that there's just something calming about being on the water, right? It feels good to our soul. And luckily for Jesus, some of his friends and disciples were former fishermen and had access to boats and loved being on the water. So in this, in this story here, they go to the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is a little bit unique. It's surrounded by mountains with valleys going through the mountains, which would create different kind of you know, wind funnels and stuff. And uh, besides, besides being surrounded by mountains, it's actually 680 feet below sea level. And so when you're on the water, it's not uncommon for a storm to approach and you can't see it because it's hidden behind the mountains. So I tell you that because Jesus and his friends aren't being irresponsible in this story. They are on the water. They're well aware of like what, it, what it's like to be on a boat. Um, however, a storm approaches um, suddenly, a big storm. And in the Sea of Galilee, when a big storm hits, oftentimes waves can end up being up to 20 feet high. So not just like you're on Saguaro Lake and it gets a little choppy. Um, this is a legit storm. So verse 24, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. It's a pretty intense storm, right? And Jesus is asleep, dreaming about who knows what Jesus dreams about, right? Sheep, carpentry, we don't know. It's one of those mysteries that we won't ever know. Jesus is asleep, and his disciples are on the boat, and they're scared. They're afraid, and they start freaking out. And, and then they find Jesus sleeping, and they go wake him up, and they go, Jesus Christ, wake up. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. It took you a while. So it's, it's funny because his name is... You know, I'm <clears throat> So they, they go wake up Jesus, and Jesus wakes up, he, and he asks his disciples a question. He says, why are you so afraid? And then he turns to the storm, he rebukes the wind of the waves, and he calms the storm. 
and his disciples are amazed by it. Now, there's a quick and easy application to this story that we can make if we stop right there. And it's that Jesus has the power to do anything he wants. He can calm the storm like he did in their lives on that boat 2,000 years ago, and he could do that today in the storm in your life if you let him. However, if we stop with that application, I think we miss something much bigger and much greater that's going on here. Notice that Jesus didn't just wake up on the boat and, and kind of, whoa, whoa, calm down, storm. He didn't do it that way, right? Instead, he wakes up, and before he rebukes the waves, he looks at his disciples, and he poses a question. He asks them a question, why are you so afraid? It's almost as if he doesn't want them to get caught up in the power of the miracle that he's about to perform, that they miss an opportunity for growth. And, and Jesus, I mean, it's never really about the miracles with Jesus, right? I mean, besides the resurrection of Jesus coming back to life, none of the miracles had any significant, lasting significance, right? I mean, he, he's calmed the storm, okay. He feeds the 5,000. Well, guess what? They're hungry a few day, uh, the next day. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Eh, a few years later, Lazarus dies again. Besides the resurrection, None of the miracles had any lasting significance. And I think it's interesting because when Jesus would perform miracles, there's usually a deeper meaning for him doing that, and there's a reason behind it. And it can usually be traced to the root of love or compassion. But it's never about the power of Jesus. There's always something different he's doing. And in this case, he's desiring relationship with his disciples. He's desiring um, a, a change of thought and, and, and altering the way they think and alter the way that they interact in their relationship with Christ. And he doesn't just want to let them off easy, right? And he doesn't just want us to come to him when a storm is happening. He wants that relationship with us, not just so he can solve our problems, but so that we can re fully rely on him in all situations. So he poses this question to his disciples, why are you so afraid and that question is still relevant to us today, even 2,000 years later. So today, I'd like to, I'd like to wrestle with this question. It's been, it's been something that I am getting better and better at and applying to my life and allowing it to uh, help me as I make decisions and follow Christ and, and be a disciple of Christ. And, and I hope today that we can let Jesus speak to us and ask that same question, why are you so afraid? I want to talk about fear today and, and, and what it, where it comes from, what, what does the Bible have to say about it, what does it look like, and how does it affect our lives, and then how can we deal with it? Let's, let's ask God to, to speak to us. God, thank you so much that, that you are all-powerful and you can, you can calm storms, but thank you even more that you are relational and that you don't let us off the hook and, and just come in and control everything, but you, you desire relationship with us and change with us, and you challenge us, and you, you speak to us, and you do things with us that causes us to grow. Thank you for that. God, we ask that this morning you speak to us, and, uh, and, and not my words, God, but yours. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. The year was 1992. I was six. My cousin took me to the latest box office hit, a historical film that's watched by millions of people even to this day. It's adventurous, magic, 
humor, love, deception. Disney's Aladdin. And when I was six years old, there was a scene in Aladdin that totally freaked me out. And even to this day, I see it, and I still kind of, you know, freeze up. And if you've seen Aladdin, which most of you probably have, you probably know what I'm talking about. But for those of you who have not, I'd like to show you a picture of the scene I'm referring to, but I must warn you, it's quite frightening. Please show them the Cave of Wonders. Come on, I was six years old, okay? It was the big screen surround sound. It was okay for me to be afraid in that situation. But what I, what's interesting in this story, I was six years old. My little six-year-old mind, because I was afraid, fabricated this lie and the, this story. Then I turned to my cousin and I said, Cousin Lori, I'm cold. Can I sit on your lap? And she, and she did. And then after the scene ends, I'm like, ah, I feel better now. But what's interesting, even at a young age, fear makes us do funny things. It makes us do crazy things. In this case, it made me come up with a lie that I was cold because I didn't even want to admit that I was afraid. And I, I can't even tell you, I have a four-year-old daughter, Lucy. I can't even tell you how many sharks and alligators have been in her room, right? Daddy, there's an alligator in my room. Lucy, I promise you there's not an alligator in your room. And if there is, we have a huge problem. There's, there's no alligator, right? But she fabricates this lie when it's dark and she sees shapes of shadows and stuff. Fear makes us do funny things. Fear can absolutely control us. Uh, and everyone's got them, right? Everyone has their own different fears and it looks different in all of us. They actually say the number one fear that people have is public speaking. Number two is death. So people would rather die than get up in front of a crowd and speak, which is crazy. Top of my list, my fears Snakes and tsunamis, I have bad dreams about them. I don't know why. Those are the only nightmares I have. My sister is deathly afraid of bees, and my brother's afraid of ranch dressing. Like, he won't even go to Buffalo Wild Wings with me. It's crazy. But if we were to stop and slow down and get past these materialistic outward fears and really ask ourselves, what are some of those fears that are in us? We, we begin to realize that there's some much deeper things that are rooted in us, that, that impact us and affect the way we live. For example, the fear of rejection, which I thought would go away after being a teenager. It doesn't, even as an adult. It's still a real, real fear. fear. Uh, the fear of failure, fear of being alone, maybe fearing the loss of a loved one or not being good enough, fear of getting hurt, or here's a real one to all of us right now as a church, fear of change, right? We're in transition. That causes people to, to do funny things because we're all kind of nervous about what's going to happen. Fear of the unknown, fill in the blank. We've all got them. In fact, I would say fear is real and it's present in everyone's life. And the second thing that I, that I just want to establish is fear is powerful, Right? It, can, it can cause a six-year-old to fabricate a lie, or it can cause a fully grown adult to miss out on an opportunity because they're afraid of change. Or if we want to make this hit home from this week and think about things that are going on in our world, in our country, with the different kinds of acts of violence and terrorism and shootings and racism, we know that fear is starting to destruct our own country. 
Fear is real. It's present in everyone's life, and it's very powerful. Now, fear is not necessarily a bad thing. It's not really a good thing either. It's just something different. Here's what I mean. If you are in the forest walking alone in the woods, and you come face to face with a bear, fear is going to trigger something in you that goes, oh no, I'm in danger. This is not good. I need to get out of here. And most people, because of that fear, would take off running. But for those of you who are outdoorsy people, you know that one of the worst things you can do if you come face to face with a bear is to take off running because that triggers an instinct in the bear and the bear goes, oh, something's running. I think I'd like to chase it and eat it, right? That's what the bear does. And so what they say you should do, well, actually, you know what? To save time, if you want to know what to do if you come face to face with a bear, Google it. I did. There's a lot of different things. And I'll just say bears are actually number three on my list of fears now. <laughs> All I know is I won't be going to the woods alone. And whoever I'm with, I'm going to make sure I'm faster than them. Because I don't have to be faster than the bear. I just have to be faster than them, right? Fear is not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just, here's what it is. Fear is a great motivator, right? It triggers something in us that goes up into our brain, and you feel it, You're, right? You feel it. Physically, you feel it. Emotionally, you feel it. And it's a great motivator. It alerts us that something is not right. However, even though fear is a great motivator, fear is a lousy guide. It'll cause us to make irrational decisions. It'll scare us off from making the right choice. It'll, it'll just guide us in a way that is probably not the best way. Fear is a great motivator, but it's a lousy guide. Do you know how dangerous that is? Like, just stop and think about how dangerous that reality is. Fear is a great motivator, but it's a lousy guide. When I was in sixth grade, I came across a verse that I decided to memorize and kind of let it become a life verse for me. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but, a, but of love, of power, and self-discipline. And growing up, I would hold on to this verse, and I would go, Okay, Richard, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And that's how I inter interpreted the verse. And then a few years back, and I don't know if this ever happens to you, but you ever have like, you hear a verse or a passage over and over and over, and then one day God just allows you to see it a little bit differently? That happened with me. And I began to read the verse like this. For God did not give us a spirit of fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear. If that didn't come from God, where does it come from? It comes straight from the enemy. If I'm feeling afraid, that's not God making me feel that way. That's the enemy's way to get us, right? Fear is a great motivator. It's a lousy guide, and it's so dangerous because the enemy knows that, and he uses it against us because he wants to destroy us. Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, he wants to destroy us. As a church, as a family, as a couple, he wants to destroy us. As a nation, he wants to destroy us. And he uses fear to do that. God did not give you a spirit of fear. So if you let fear control you, basically, not only are you letting the devil win, but we're not be being and we're not becoming the person that God has intended us to be, a person of love, of power, and self-discipline. 
I want to share a few effects that fear has on our everyday lives. Um, and uh, yeah, let's just jump in. Number one, uh, fear chokes our thinking and actions. Fear chokes our thinking and actions. Uh, as I was, I was studying this, I came across a devotional that Charles Stanley shared. He's a pastor and an author, and it just hit home with me, and so I'll just read what he said. The fear creates indecisiveness that results in stagnation. I have known talented people who procrastinate indefinitely rather than risk failure. Lost opportunities cause erosion of confidence, and the downward spiral begins. I read that, and I was like, oh my goodness, that is me. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get so overwhelmed with everything on my plate, everything I've got to do for my job, my role as a dad, my role as a husband, the calling God's placed on my life. Sometimes it just gets so heavy, and I end up just freezing, right? It's like, I am one of those people. And what I have to do, and I'm getting better at this as I get older and as I mature in my relationship with Christ, I'm able to take a step back and go, okay, hang on, why, why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you so afraid? What is causing you to be indecisive? What is causing you to procrastinate? What is causing you to freeze? And I'm able to take a step back and process, and when I figure out what that is, I put a name on it, and I write it down, and then, and then I give it to God. I put a name on it, and I give it to God, and then I list everything that is causing me to feel overwhelmed, and it's causing me to, to freeze, and I just write it all down. I say, okay, God, here it is. You're in control. And then I just start working down the list. And I, I start to feel better. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 27, Jesus says, That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? I love this passage because it's almost like Jesus is saying, look, it's not that I don't want you to work. It's not that I don't want you to prepare because I want you to do all those things. I want you to give your best. But at the end of the day, don't worry about it because, look, I got this. I'm in control like, I'm going to take care of you. I take care of the birds, and aren't you more valuable than a bird? Yes, I'm more valuable than a bird. Thank you, Jesus. That makes me feel good. <laughs> Even though we still have to work hard and prepare, don't let, don't let worry take over. Because when, when we do that, we freeze. And, it, and fear stifles and chokes our thinking and actions. Number two, fear can drive out people, excuse me, fear can drive people to destructive habits. Some of uh, some people, <clears throat> uh, fear becomes such a real thing and, and anxiety builds up and, and worry that they actually have things that they, they turn to as an escape. And some of these things aren't healthy, right? Some people um, start to form destructive habits and addictions to escape from the pain, to escape from the fear. And, and that just creates a downward spiral in their life. But if we take a step back even, perhaps, perhaps someone has been hurt by someone. And so the habit that's destructive that they formed is, is to put up a wall. And when someone is trying to, I don't know, give feedback or give constructive criticism in their life, they immediately, they just put up a wall and go and get defensive, right? 
and I, well, I'm just blah, 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 you know. That, that's a bad habit. And, and, and it's a cover because maybe we've been hurt in the past. And so we're afraid of getting hurt again. So we just put up a wall and say, you know what, I'm not going not gonna to let anyone in. And it's going to be really hard to earn my trust. That's not healthy. That's not healthy. It's destructive. Um, I have the honor and the, the privilege to lead a, a ministry here called Teach One to Lead One in Scottsdale. And what it is is we mentor kids who are at risk in public schools. We take people like you from churches into public schools during school hours, and we teach them universal principles, things that are true for anyone, anywhere, anytime. And um, what I found about these destructive habits is it's true for, for people who are young just as much as, as, as someone who's older. And, and it doesn't matter what season of stage of life you're in, it's true. We develop these habits. And there's a girl that we worked with, an eighth grade girl named Gigi. And as we started talking to her, you know, one of the things we would do is, is we talk about habits and we want to help them conquer their, their bad habits. So we give them an IRA method, identify the bad habit, replace it with a good habit and have someone hold you accountable. And so as we're going around a small group and I'm trying to help these students realize what their bad habits are and identify them, she says, well, I get bad grades. And I say, well, bad grades isn't the habit. What's the habit that causes you to get bad grades? She said, oh, well, I don't turn in my homework. And I look at her and I said, you don't do your homework? You don't turn it in. She goes, oh, I, I do my homework. I just don't turn it in. You do your homework. You just don't turn it in. Every one of them. Why do you do that? She just shrugged at me. And it's one of those moments where I, I felt like the Holy Spirit just really took over the conversation and, and dropped the thought in my head. And I realized she's probably not turning in her homework because she's afraid of something. So I said, Gigi, are you, are you afraid of the result if you turn in your homework? And her eyes got big. I said, why are you afraid? Why, why are you so afraid? She said, again, her eyes just started to well. I said, do you feel like you're not going to be good enough? She said, my parents are really hard on me. And they, they place just unrealistic expectations on me. And this girl is afraid of not being good enough for her parents. She's afraid of not being accepted by her parents. And then she forms this destructive habit of not turning in her homework. She's doing the work. She's just not turning it in because she's so afraid that it'll come back and it won't be good enough and her parents won't approve of her. And it, and it, and it, was, a cool, it was a cool moment for, for me to speak truth into her life and tell her how valuable she was just as being a, a human being and to say, look, you are good enough. Like, just turn in your homework. Like, you already did the hard part. Let's just see what happens. And I was able to check in with her every week and, and ask her if she's turned it in. It was kind of a cool story. But the, the truth is fear can drive people to destructive habits. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. It's true for all of us. Here's the third thing. Fear steals peace and it creates doubt. Steals peace and creates doubt. And In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief or the enemy has comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to give life and life to the full. Now, I don't know about you, but I think most people, when they become a Christian and give their life to Christ, you experience some sort of inward peace that's kind of hard to describe. Do you know what I'm talking about? It, it just, it's something you never felt before. And it's really hard to put into words. But when we let the enemy come who wants to steal that from you, 
we start to lose that peace that we once felt. He doesn't want us to feel that way. He wants to take that from you. And even more so, it creates doubt because the second part of that verse, Jesus says, I've come to give life and life to the full. We start doubting the truth of that statement, right? In the midst of the storm, maybe like the disciples, we begin to panic or, or freak out and we go, Jesus, where are you? Like, do you, do you, even, do you even listen to me? Like, are, I feel like all my prayers are unheard and, and not answered and Maybe this isn't even real. Maybe I've been believing a, a, a lie this whole time. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe God is out there, but maybe he's not relational like we thought he might be. Fear creates doubt in us, and it begins this downward spiral, and it just piggybacks, and it snowballs. Fear creates doubt, and it steals our peace. Uh, the last one, fear... Fear actually harms us physically. Uh, the, the University of Minnesota did a, a research project and studied fear, and, and uh, I want to share with you some of the results they found. They said that living under constant threat weakens our immune system and can cause cardiovascular damage, gastrointestinal problems such as ulcers and irritable bowel syndrome, and de- decreased fertility. Fear can impair formation of long-term memories and cause damage to certain parts of the brain, such as the hippocampus. This can make it even more difficult to regulate fear and can leave a person anxious most of the time. To someone in chronic fear, the world looks scary and their memories confirm that. Moreover, fear can interrupt processes in our brains that allow us to regulate emotions, read nonverbal cues, and other information presented to us, reflect before acting, and act ethically. This impacts our thinking and decision-making in negative ways, leaving us susceptible to intense emotions and impulse reactions. All of these effects can leave us unable to act appropriately. Other consequences of long-term fear include fatigue, clinical depression, accelerated aging, and even premature death. So whether threats to our security are real or perceived, they impact our mental and physical well-being. Fear can make us do funny and crazy things. It's a great motivator, but it's a lousy guide. And the enemy wants to use that to destroy us, literally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, relationally. You know, it's really interesting. In the Gospels, uh, Luke, in his book, records the same story of Jesus calming the storm. Same setting, same story. Only at the end of it, Luke records that Jesus asked a different question. Instead of asking, why are you so afraid, Jesus asked, where is your faith? Isn't that interesting? And, and I think maybe the reason why, he, why Luke recorded that, and, and you know, we always get a little bit lost in translations, a different language and stuff, but I think maybe Jesus' point here is, is not so much one or the other. It's not so much, look, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, as it is, have faith, have faith. In the midst of the storm, have faith. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know, that, don't you know that I care about you? Don't you know that I love you? Don't you know that I'm in control? Have some faith. I got this. You see, with, with faith comes trust, which is 
the root of a great relationship, right? And with faith comes peace, which has a lot to do with our security and identity. And with faith comes courage, which produces action. And with faith comes freedom, and that's life and life to the full. So we say that fear is a great motivator and a lousy guide. Perhaps we should start thinking that fear is a great motivator and faith is a great guide. Faith is a great guide. Um, I just want to close with a story about my own, my own life and how this is real to me. Uh, a few years ago, I was in Washington State. I was a youth pastor, and I received one of the most clear callings that God has ever given me. It's something I, I never imagined. I thought I was a, a youth pastor and, and ministering in a church, you know, for, for life. And God placed a calling in my life to get up and leave that, a healthy youth ministry, and a very secure uh, place to be for me and my wife and daughter. And, and to leave that and, and to come back to Phoenix and to kickstart a nonprofit ministry that would mobilize the church to go into public schools during public school hours and share hope and truth and build relationships. It's called Teach One to Lead One. And, uh, and through a lot of conversations and, and prayer and reading scripture, my wife and I tried to discern through this if this was actual, an actual call. And it was very clear to us it was. And actually, most conversations we had, everyone was very supportive, except for two people, my dad and my older brother, which is like... Great. Naturally, the two people I want approval and acceptance from are the ones who, who are like, you shouldn't do it. <laughs> my dad was just, you know, I, I shared him what I was thinking. With, I shared with him what I was thinking. He's just like, well, where are you going to live? How are you going to get paid? What, where, what are you going to do for insurance? You know, very realistic questions. And I was like, I don't know, dad. I'll figure it out, you know. My brother was just kind of like, well, good luck with that. It's extremely hard. And <laughs> but you know what? It, 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 and, it, and it was. It was one of the scariest things we've ever done because Teach One to Lead One was not in existence here. Uh, it's based in Atlanta, Georgia. It did not exist in Phoenix. There was no schools asking for it. There was no churches behind it. There was no people saying, let's do this. It was a huge step of faith for, for me and my family. But if, if I let fear win and if fear controlled me, kids like Gigi wouldn't be experiencing truth and hearing truth and finding hope and, and those destructive habits and chains wouldn't be breaking off. And if fear controlled me, 500 kids would not be mentored by 61 different Christians from 15 different churches right here in the valley. And if I let fear control me and win, the church would never be able to go onto a public school campus and retake territory that once belonged to us. And I say that not to say, look at me, but I say that to say, look at God. There's nothing special or incredibly awesome that I did other than I just put my yes on the table. And in, in the midst of a storm, when, when, when fear is very real and a big deal, I let faith be my guide, and I put yes on the table. In our world today, there's a ton of things going on that, that are causing fear, right? I mean, it's like one of the scariest elections I've ever seen, right? That causes fear in us. And like I said earlier, things that are going on in our country with, with attacks and, and racism and everything like that, it, it's causing fear in people. 
As a church, you're in transition. And, and that causes fear, and, and there's hurt, and, and everyone, you know, kind of starts going, what's going on? You get nervous. I'm telling you, let faith be your guide, and don't let fear trickle in and tear you apart, because that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. Does this mean that I'm never afraid anymore? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Every day I'm faced with things that fears creep in, Fears creep in, and, and it, as you start getting nervous about the future, and you start worrying about if everything's going to work out and, and everything, and I have to keep constantly going back and asking myself, why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? And as hard as it is, I have to put my yes on the table every day to what God is calling me to do as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, and as a, a director of a, a chapter of a nonprofit. Um, as, we, as we close... I really want to challenge you to be honest with yourself and evaluate your relationships, evaluate your family, evaluate your life, and, and ask yourself, what is going on that's, that's creating fear inside of me, that's causing me to not do something maybe I'm called to do, or, or how's fear coming into my life and creating tension in a relationship? Whatever it is, it looks different for all of us, and I don't know exactly where you're at. But maybe today, there, you know, there's a cross and paper up here, and Maybe you just need to write it down and put a name on that fear and go pin it to the cross and give it to Jesus. There's candles open, and maybe your response needs to be lighting, lighting a candle. And in Psalm 27, David writes that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who sh- whom should I be afraid? And maybe that's, maybe that's your prayer and your response today is just lighting a candle and saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Fear's a great motivator but faith is the best guide. So let's let faith guide us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are bigger than all things. All things in in nature, all all people, everything in the universe, Lord, you are great and you are powerful. But God, we love you so much because beyond all that, something even greater than, than your power is your love for us and that you desire a relationship with us. And it's not always easy, God. But today I pray that each person in here can be real with themselves and and put faith as their guide, faith in you, faith in the cross, faith in your calling for us as people, as a church. God, I, I ask that you honor that courage. We love you so much.